Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast, where we take a behind-the-scenes, intimate look at surgery from leaders in the field. Welcome back to Behind the Knife, Medical Student and Intern Survival Guide. The Behind the Knife Medical Student Intern and Survival Guide is a surgical education podcast series that focuses on high-yield topics relevant to both medical students and surgical interns. My name is Patrick Georgioff. And I'm Vahag Nikolian. And we are your hosts. On our last episode, we started our discussion about trauma care by going through the primary and secondary survey. Today, we're going to make it stick by working through some real-life cases. The primary objective of this episode is to develop a better understanding of how the ABCs are applied across different trauma scenarios. The focus is not on advanced trauma management, although we will discuss definitive treatment with each scenario. Okay, so let's get started. Patrick, you're the trauma chief. Your trauma radio goes off for a level one trauma. It's a 26-year-old woman who was involved in a high-speed motor vehicle crash in which she was T-boned on the driver's side. She was restrained and the airbags deployed. It took about 20 minutes to extricate her from the vehicle. She is not intubated. Her oxygen saturation is currently 90% on a non-rebreather. Her heart rate is 126, and her blood pressure is 100 over 62. Her GCS is 12. She's going to arrive in your trauma bay in five minutes by ground transport. Okay. I would start by readying my team. I would assign roles to each member of the team. And I would also ensure all the necessary equipment is ready, including airway equipment, chest tube supplies, and the ultrasound machine. Okay, great. The patient arrives in the trauma bay. She has a C-collar in place and is on a spine board. You get the same story from the EMS. Her vital signs and GCS are the same. And she has a 16-gauge IV in her right arm. What are you going to do next? Yeah, I'll start with the primary survey. Can she speak? She can, but she's confused. She has no obvious injuries to the face or neck. Okay, so her airway is intact for now at least. Uh, how about breathing? I would look, listen, and feel. So you see bruising on her left chest. You also, she also has diminished breath sounds on the left with some crepitus. Okay, uh, I would put in a chest tube immediately. Is there any air or blood? Approximately 300 cc's of blood is evacuated after you place your chest tube. Shortly thereafter, the oxygen saturation improves to 98%. Okay, uh, great. I would now feel for ephemeral pulse. It is present and a bit weak. Okay, I would uh, like to obtain additional IV access. Okay, you now have two IV, uh, IVs in there, both 16-gauge, and then there's another 18-gauge IV as well. Okay, uh, I would like to start transfusing blood products for this patient now. Uh, I would do so in a one-to-one-to-one fashion, and I would uh, give blood through multiple uh, peripheral IVs. And as this is happening, I would like to calculate a GCS and expose the patient to assess for any additional injuries. Uh, her GCS is still 12, and you note the following injuries once she's fully exposed. Bruising to her left chest, a closed fracture of her left wrist, and an open fracture of her left tibia. Uh, she has pulses distally on both extremities. Okay. Uh, do I have another set of vital signs at this time? You do. Her heart rate's 132. Her blood pressure is 106 over 54. Her oxygen saturation is 98% on a non-rebreather. There is minimal ongoing bleeding from that chest tube you placed. Okay. And were labs sent off? They were. And this included a CBC, a BMP, coags, troponin, and a venous blood gas. The venous blood gas has resulted and is noted for a pH of 7.2, normal CO2 and O2, 
a lactate of 6.4 and a hemoglobin of 10. Okay. Uh, I would like to continue transfusing blood, and at this time I would perform a FAST exam and obtain x-rays of the chest and pelvis. Okay. The FAST exam is positive. There's free fluid in the right upper quadrant as well as the left upper quadrant. The chest x-ray shows a well-placed chest tube. Good job. No pneumothorax and numerous rib fractures bilaterally. The pelvic x-ray is normal. Okay, so we have a hemodynamically unstable patient with free fluid in her abdomen. At this point, I would go to the OR for exploratory laparotomy. All right, very good. You take her to the OR, you find a ruptured spleen, small lacerations to her liver, and a non-expanding uh, hematoma in the small bowel mesentery. You perform a splenectomy and pack the liver, which controls the bleeding, and then eventually the patient goes on to make a full recovery. Good job. Excellent. That's a great case. Uh, so a couple things to highlight. Uh, we rapidly decompressed the patient's hemothorax with a well-placed chest tube. Uh, we started transfusing blood product quickly, and we did not waste any time taking our unstable patient with a positive FAST exam to the OR for definitive repair. Okay, so next case. Now, Patrick, you're the trauma chief again. Your trauma radio goes off for another level one. This time, it's a 54-year-old man who fell two stories from the roof. He's currently not intubated. He has oxygen saturation of 90%. His heart rate is 120, and his blood pressure is 100 over 62. His GCS is 6. He will arrive in your trauma bay in five minutes by ground transport. Okay. Once again, I will ready my team and uh, our equipment. Great. The patient arrives in your trauma bay. He has a C collar in place and is on a spine board. You get that same story from the EMS. His vital signs and GCS are the same. And he has a 16-gauge IV in his right arm. What are you going to do next? Well, I would start with airway. Uh, his GCS is 6, and uh, I'm assuming he's obtunded. Uh, is that correct? And also, I guess, are there any uh, visible injuries to the face or the neck, Vahad? He is obtunded, and there are no injuries to the face or neck that you can see. Okay. I would intubate this patient, and I uh, would be ready to perform a surgical airway if needed. Okay. Intubation goes well, but within a minute, his heart rate increases, uh, and his blood pressure drops to 60 over 40. Okay. Yeah, I would immediately listen to his lungs. This is concerning for a tension pneumothorax uh, that was worsened uh, rapidly after placing the patient on positive pressure ventilation. Okay, and you, once you do so, you identify no breath sounds on the right side. Yeah, I'd, I'd rapidly place a chest tube. Okay, you're able to do so, and you get a massive rush of air. His vital signs improve almost immediately. His heart rate goes down to 110. His blood pressure improves to 100 over 60, and his oxygen saturation is now at 98%. Okay, I'm going to circle back and reassess my ABCs. I'll go back to airway and breathing for now. Uh, is my endotracheal tube secured, and are there breath sounds bilaterally? Yes, to both. Okay, and does he have a strong femoral pulse? He does. Okay. Uh, in this case, I'd like to give one liter of lactated ringers. I'd also like to make sure that we have packed red blood cells, FFP, and platelets ready and in the room. Um, next, I would expose the patient. Uh, do I see any ad additional injuries? He has a non-bleeding scalp laceration and has a what looks to be a broken right clavicle. Okay. Uh, I'd like to obtain a second, a large bore peripheral IV, uh, to, uh, ideally a 16 or an 18 gauge, and I'd like to send labs. Uh, Vahag, do we have a new set of vital signs? You do. Her, the heart rate is 110, blood pressure is 120 over 60, and oxygenation is about 96% on that ventilator. Uh, you now have two 16-gauge IVs, and the labs are cooking. Okay. I'd like to perform a FAST exam and obtain uh, x-rays of the chest and pelvic. Tell us. 
Okay, so uh, fast exam is positive uh, for uh, the right upper quadrant as well as the pelvis. Your chest x-ray shows a well-placed chest tube, no pneumothorax, with multiple broken ribs on the right side. A pelvic x-ray is done, which shows multiple pelvic fractures. Okay. At this point, I'd wrap the patient's pelvis with a sheet and take him to the CT scanner for head-to-toe imaging. Uh, I am fairly confident that he is stable enough to, to take a trip to the CT scanner, uh, but I would uh, have that blood product available and either give some or at least consider uh, giving some while he's in the CT scanner. Okay, great. So you go to the CT scanner and the patient does remain stable. The head CT shows two small intraparenchymal hemorrhages without mass effect. There's a right clavicular fracture, a right-sided rib fracture, a grade 3 liver laceration without contrast extravasation, and a broken pelvis with contrast extravasation. Okay. And just to confirm, the patient's vital signs have remained the same? They did. Okay. I believe this patient is stable enough to go to the interventional radiology suite where his liver laceration and pelvic bleeding can be addressed. Okay, so you accompany the patient to IR where he undergoes unilateral internal iliac artery embolization. No bleeding was identified in the liver. The patient remains hemodynamically stable following the intervention. Repeat CT scans are done of the head which shows no additional bleeding. He goes on to make a good recovery with only mild cognitive deficits. Okay, great. That's another good one. Some highlights here. We decompressed a tension pneumothorax that was made worse with positive pressure ventilation. Uh, we made sure uh, the patient was stable before sending him to the CT scanner. We had access and we had blood products available. And we called our in, on our interventional radiology colleagues to stop pelvic bleeding. Yeah, I think it's really important to mention that bleeding in the pelvis typically comes from bridging veins and that these are not amenable to surgical ligation. As such, IR is the ideal treatment for a stable, I repeat, stable patient with uh, pelvic bleeding. If the patient was not stable, uh, we would take them to the OR for preperitoneal packing and fixation of the pelvis. Great. Okay, so next case, Patrick, you're the trauma chief. Your trauma radio goes off. It's another level one trauma. It's a busy night for you. A 23-year-old man has been shot in the abdomen and leg. His heart rate is 138. Blood pressure is 110 over 76, and oxygen saturation is 98%. The GCS is 15, and he will arrive to your trauma bay in five minutes by ground transport. Okay, once again, I will ready my team and our equipment. Okay, great. The patient arrives to your trauma bay. You get the same story from EMS, just minding his own business when he was shot down. His vital signs and GCS remain the same. He has two 16-gauge IVs, one in each arm, and he's received one liter of fluid. What do you want to do next? Yep, I would go through my primary survey, as we do for every single trauma patient, and give one uh, liter of lactative ringers. Okay. His airway is intact. He has normal bilateral breath sounds, a strong pulse throughout, a GCS of 15, and on brief exam has the following bullet wounds. He has two in the mid-abdomen, two in the left flank, and two in the right thigh one lateral and one posterior. He has full strength and sensation on his right leg and has palpable pulses throughout. Okay, so that's an even number of wounds, which makes me less suspicious for a taint bullet. Uh, Then perform a fast exam and order x-rays for the chest, the abdomen, and the pelvis. Okay, fast exam is positive for free fluid in the pelvis. The x-rays are normal. Okay, I would also like to obtain one more peripheral IV and ensure that labs were sent off. Okay, and they were. And what are his vital signs now, V? Currently, his heart rate is 138, 
His blood pressure is 120 over 80, and oxygen saturation is 100% on two liters nasal cannula. Okay, so we've got a young man who is tachycardic, but hemodynamically stable with bullet wounds to his abdomen and thigh. I would like to take this patient to the operating room for exploratory laparotomy. I would also like to ensure the availability of blood products before doing so. Okay, you go to the operating room immediately. What surgery are you planning on performing? Yeah, I would perform an exploratory laparotomy. I would pack all four quadrants with lap pads, after which I would systematically assess for bleeding and contamination. Great. Uh, so when you open the patient's abdomen, you find a large amount of stool and some blood. You identify two holes in the ilium, about 20 centimeters apart, a non-expanding hematoma of the small bowel mesentery, and a through-and-through injury to the descending colon. As you're exploring the patient, he becomes hypotensive. His systolic blood pressure drops to the 80s. You notice you don't you don't actually notice any new bleeding uh, in the abdomen. Anesthesia is continuously resuscitating this patient at this point with a one-to-one to one resuscitation, and they've, they've started norepinephrine via a central line that they placed at the beginning of the case. Okay, I would uh, I would quickly reevaluate this patient for for bleeding. Uh, we did not notice any bleeding in the abdomen. Uh, are his chest sounds normal? And is there any new bleeding from his thigh? Um, and if we do have a hemoglobin, uh, what is, has it changed at all? Okay, so that's that's exactly what you should do in these trauma patients. You want to reassess everything. So great idea, Patrick. There is no evidence of bleeding outside of the abdomen, and his hemoglobin has increased from ten to twelve with that transfusion. Okay, uh, so this patient may in fact be developing intra-abdominal sepsis. My goal now is to control contamination in the abdomen and get him back to the ICU as quickly as I can for ongoing resuscitation and antibiotics. Uh, in this case, I would transect the injured small bowel and the descending colon with a stapling device and leave the GI tract in discontinuity. I would then thoroughly irrigate the abdomen with warm saline and place a temporary abdominal closure device uh, like an abthera. Okay. So what you're talking about is a damage control operation. Patrick, can you describe that a bit more? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So, so damage control surgery refers to an operative strategy that's predicated on the treatment of immediate uh, life, th- uh, excuse me, the immediate treatment of life-threatening injuries and the purposeful delay of definitive operative repairs of injuries until the patient's physiology has returned to normal. And uh, this specifically refers to their acid-base status, temperature, and coagulation profile. Uh, So this results in a staged approach uh, in which the patient may have to return to the operating room multiple times for evaluation before uh, definitive repair and abdominal wall closure is actually performed. Okay, so the patient is returned to the ICU where he stabilizes over the course of 24 hours after which you opt to take them back to the OR. Uh, you open the abdomen and find a few pockets of perilate material, but no bleeding. What are you gonna do now? Yeah, uh, at this point I would proceed with definitive repair. I would wash them out thoroughly and perform a stapled uh, anastomosis of the small bowel and the colon, and I would close his abdomen. Okay, would you like to divert this patient with a proximal ostomy? Yeah, that's an important consideration. It would be um, reasonable to do so, but probably unnecessary in this patient now that his physiology has has normalized. Okay, you do that and the patient goes on to make a full recovery. You're three for three so far, Patrick. Love it. All right, so let's go on to the last case. Patrick, you're the trauma chief. Your trauma radio goes off for another level one trauma. This time it's a 28-year-old man who's been stabbed in the chest. His heart rate is 150, blood pressure is 80 over 40, oxygen saturation is 92. His GCS is 15, and he's going to arrive in your bay in five minutes by ground transport. 
Okay. Once again, I will ready my team and my equipment. Okay. So the patient arrives in the trauma bay. EMS tells you that he was stabbed in the left chest twice by a disgruntled girlfriend. Oof. The stab wounds are one inch wide. His vital signs and GCS remain the same. He has a single 16-gauge IV, and he's received one liter of fluid. What do you want to do next? Yep, I would go through the primary survey while also obtaining additional IV access, uh, specifically a central line, a mat cordis, or an intraosseous line, and begin rapidly transfusing blood products in a one-to-one-to-one fashion. Okay, his airway is intact. He has no breath sounds on the left side, and his femoral pulse is barely perceptible. Okay. I'd like to start by placing a left-sided chest tube here. Unfortunately, right when you're trying to do that, he passes out and you lose pulses. No pulses at all? No pulses. Okay. Uh, I would direct my team to start CPR immediately uh, while I uh, move forward with a left-sided thoracotomy. Okay, good. So you open his left chest through the fifth intercostal space, which reveals a significant amount of bleeding. Okay. Uh, I would make my way to the heart. Uh, What's the heart look like? Is it beating? Uh, it's fibrillating. Okay. I would immediately open the pericardial sac. Okay, you do so, and it's full of blood. And when, when you get a good look at the heart, you're able to identify a laceration on the right ventricle. Okay. Uh, I would close that laceration as quickly as possible with sutures or staples. Uh, after doing so, I would start cardiac massage. Uh, I would direct a teammate to cross-clamp the aorta, and I would ensure that the patient is being transfused with the blood products as quickly as possible. And uh, once that is accomplished, I would attempt to defibrillate the heart. And uh, I would also ask my ED colleagues to intubate the patient if this is not done already. Okay. You do all of that, and the patient's cardiac function returns, and he regains pulses. Once his blood pressure returns, you identify a bleeding intercostal vessel that you're able to suture ligate. And the patient's then transported to the operating room where he is further resuscitated. His cardiac repair is formalized and his chest is actually closed. So he goes on, surprisingly, to make a full recovery. It's magic, V. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was an aggressive one. Uh, and there are a couple things to note here. Um, first off, the indications for resuscitative thoracotomy are controversial without a doubt. Uh, the guidelines that are available center around the type of injury the patient uh, incurred, either blunt or penetrating, and when that patient lost pulses. So the scenario presented here is the most straightforward among them. This is a patient suffering from penetrating injury to the chest who lost pulses in front of us in the trauma bay. So ED thoracotomy was definitely indicated in this case. Now it becomes way less clear if one should perform an ED thoracotomy in the setting of blunt trauma especially, uh, and uh, even more so in patients who lose their pulses before arriving in the trauma bay. All right, so Patrick, why is it so controversial? Yeah, that's because the outcomes are so poor. The overall survival following ED thoracotomy for penetrating injury is only 11%, and for blunt trauma is 2%, just dismal numbers really so the scenario we just went through is definitely a rarity all right well that wraps it up for this episode of behind the knife medical student and intern survival guide until next time dominate the day that was really good until next time dominate the day